Mini episode 1537 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1537. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here. And we have a very special treat for you here today, breaking down some of the political races for this year and uh, getting back into it with uh, a wonderful journalist that uh, we, uh, it's been far too long since we've had him on the show. I'm chagrined to say, I believe you go back to uh, mini episode 215, November of 2012, uh, breaking down the postmortem for the 2012 presidential election, and uh, I was listening to that in recent days, and uh, I think it holds up uh, very well. If uh, anybody's interested in uh, weighing uh, what the thoughts and analysis was at the time, uh, FDH Lounge dignitary, our good friend Lloyd Carroll, was on with us for that one as well, and uh, it is always great to be able to uh, pick the brain of uh, Dominic Carter, who uh, from his base of New York City uh, has a very wide uh, breadth and depth of knowledge and experience, has uh, interviewed a who's who uh, over the years in politics, and uh, again, top flight journalist and reporter. You can find all of his information at Dominic-Carter.com. Dominic, thank you so much for coming back on with us. Can't wait to break down this election landscape with you. Rick, it's an honor to be here with you. It has been too long. I enjoy uh, your program, and I look forward to this interview. Well, this is uh, going to be a great conversation. I am certain of that, and uh, I was just asking you off air. I was uh, just kind of getting a general sense of what you're looking at because uh, just on a macro level, when you hear things like, and again, I'll believe it when I see it as far as it being truly competitive, but you start hearing that the New York governor's race is a little bit more competitive than was anticipated, and I was asking you about the uh, congressional race on uh, Staten Island there, and that's one where I, I kind of think of that as, yeah, it's, it's Republican-leaning to be sure as far as the way that it's drawn, but uh, something that should be competitive should be one of those races that's going to determine the makeup of the House of Representatives, and uh, it seemed to be, based on the way you were describing it to me off-air, emblematic of the climate the way that it's going now, because it does seem like after a very, very fitful summer, it does seem like the Republicans have the wind at their back right now. And you would kind of think the way that you were describing that race to me, that might be emblematic of what the landscape's looking like. Absolutely, Rick. Uh, the Staten Island race, uh, it, it, it's, it's a rematch mm -hmm. between the incumbent Nicole Maliotakis, uh, the Republican, against Max Rose, the uh, Democrat, and he served uh, one term until uh, Maliotakis uh, defeated him. But it's a race, and I think it is a symbol of what's going on in the country in terms of right now, right now, the snapshot is that things are tilting, it seems, heavily 
towards the Republicans. And I, I don't have any skin in the game. I'm only, I'm only reading the tea leaves uh, in terms of uh, what I see. And from race to race to race, you mentioned the uh, New York governor race, and it's almost the same situation as in the congressional race that we just started with. Um, it, it just seems that Max Rose and that congressional race, the Democrat, it just seems like it was much more competitive the last time around. You don't hear much about it. You don't hear much in terms of polling. And you don't hear any the Democrat gaining any traction. It seems like the Republican in that race, Nicole Maliotakis, and as you pointed out, the district leans uh, uh, Republican, but it's been competitive in the past. It, we're just not getting that feeling uh, right now this time around. Exactly, yes, because uh, every district, uh, as you point out, I mean, there uh, nobody's ever drawn one up yet that's exactly 50-50, right? So there's always a lean, no matter how slight. I always think of that as a slight lean. And, yeah, if that one is one where the Republican's not breaking as much of a sweat as you might expect, then I think, yes, I agree with you. That does tell us an awful lot. And in looking at the overall landscape and the way that things are playing here, uh, I would say, too, to echo what you said, I don't have any skin in the game because uh, I, I have to say, I mean, I'm somebody that's gotten to be pretty uh, nihilistic about politicians, uh, particularly even more so. I was listening to our previous segment and in the 10 years since, I think that's only compounded on my part with the one exception uh, as a lifelong Roman Catholic of the life issue being thrust to the forefront of the ballot this year, uh, somewhat unexpectedly, I guess, but uh, the way that it played out it did seem over the summers, though the Democrats had the wind at their back on that, the fact that in the state of Kansas, of all places, uh, that uh, people were rallying for abortion in, in big numbers there, unexpectedly so. And I think also, too, when you look at a lot of other uh, states that have written uh, some of the pro-life laws, I mean, I'm intellectually honest enough to admit that uh, some of it is a clown show, like in Texas, where you can basically take out bounties uh, on, on people there. I mean, I've got a friend who lives there, and I do have to agree that uh, she has a right to be aggrieved about that, the way that the law was written. So a, as far as the way that it was being framed in the public square, as far as perception, it did seem like that was kind of swinging things towards the Democrats. And that was a time, too, when uh, it did seem like maybe some of these other issues were looking a little bit better for them over the summer, although I have to freely admit, I mean, I'm, I'm no economist, but I was really befuddled over the summer by this whole thing of like, well, the worst of it's behind us, inflation, it's not going to be much of an issue. I never understood that, because usually when it gets to be this bad, you've got to hit an iceberg like you did in the late 70s, early 80s, before inflation starts coming down, and lo and behold, that's where we're at, so whether it be inflation whether it be the passion of the moment fading on abortion where it was at over the summer, the landscape to me seems markedly different than it was in July or August. Agreed, Rick. I think that, um, that the Democrats miscalculated in terms of, I am not downplaying. I understand that uh, abortion, no matter which side of the issue, one may come down on the issue. I, I'm not downplaying it. I am just stating that it seems like it seems like, Rick, like Democrats put all their eggs in the basket of let's gamble on the outrage over the Supreme Court decision mm -hmm. uh, overturning Roe v. Wade is going to energize the Democratic base. Yeah. 
and and it just uh, and you, which is what you basically just said. And even in Democratic New York, in Democratic Blue New York, it is not playing out that way. That's why I say that Democrats made a a bad move in terms of. I don't know if they just misread the issues or just misread the American people, but it's not playing out well for them. If you look at the uh, New York governor's race, you have incumbent uh, Democrat Kathy Hochul up against long shot, uh, at best, uh, Republican candidate Lee Zeldin. Lee Zeldin's pro-life, uh, uh, Hochul's pro-choice. And if you look at, Rick, if you look at every television commercial of the Democrat, now remember, Hochul replaced Cuomo, who was forced to uh, step down, Andrew Cuomo, over the uh, sexual harassment allegation. Mm -hmm. And if you look at Hochul's commercials, everything, and, and when it comes to campaign war chess, she's outnumbered him drastically in terms of raising money. Everything in Hochul's commercials, and it's just changed as of the 11th hour, has been abortion, abortion, abortion. Lee Zeldin does not support your right to have an abortion. He's extreme. That's what every single commercial, no matter the, the length of the commercial, essentially, Rick, that's what every single commercial said. And it's just not resonating. So the question becomes... Why is it not resonating? Of course, there are some people that are going to be upset at the Supreme Court. But when things, to go back to your point, are going as badly in the country as they are going right now, from the economy to the southern border. Mm -hmm. uh, in, New, in New York right now, Rick, we, we have a full tent city yes. for the migrants that, that, are, that are coming to New York. And, and these are taxpayer dollars. And so you have Americans that are receiving second-class treatment in the shelter system, and you have migrants that are here illegally, and they're being treated with first-class treatment. Yes. That does not connect well, Rick. I totally agree with that. And I would say also, too, I'm always fascinated to look at strategy and what might be uh, in the heads of uh, some of the candidates and their consultants when they're looking at this. And Kathy Hochul is like many other candidates out there in the country this year that, as you said, are uh, running uh, strongly or in some cases exclusively on abortion. And the thing of it is, is and I have to say this, I mean, my sense of it was over the summer is that uh, I, I do think uh, that, again, the pure pro-life perspective in this country, as defeatist as it might be for me to say this, I think is probably a minority one, a sizable minority, but probably less than 50%. So ultimately, the only card that there is to play that a lot of the candidates out there, a lot of the Republican candidates are going to the card of like, well, those guys are the extremists. They don't believe in any limits. They believe that, you know, if a baby is born, you can still, you know, take it out if, if it was meant to be aborted. And the thing of it is, is with the zeal of the Democrats running on the issue the way that they are, I wonder if that is not playing into the hands of the Republicans in some cases and making it seem off-putting. Uh, because uh, I'm sure somebody like Kathy Hochul, when she's running her ads out there, is not emphasizing any of the limits that she does believe in, if there are any. So I, I wonder if the messaging in some cases, in terms of trying to rally your base 
I wonder if that is a thing of possibly turning off at least some people in the middle, even the ones that are probably favorable to abortion under certain circumstances. Well, the, the issue of what's turning off voters, plain and simple, Rick, based mm-hmm. on polling, is that these progressive Democrats, it's almost an Alice in Wonderland, Wonderland type theory that Americans are not going to notice that crime is out of control. Yes. And so if I could just pivot for a second Please. from abortion to crime. Yes. A crime is completely devastating in New York. Mm-hmm. And again, you look at Kathy Hochul's commercials and she says, abortion, abortion, abortion. Mm-hmm. Lee, Lee Zeldin, the Republican in the race, has tapped into the anger uh, of the electorate in terms of the economy. And let's face it, Rick, we all know that Biden doesn't have coattails. Right. So, and we all know that historically that the party that's in power does not do well at the midterms, right? right? So now let's triple that when you consider the fact of the economy, when you consider inflation, when you consider the southern border, and when you consider gas, we can almost go through a litany of issues where things are not going well for Democrats. And do you think that people are going to ignore all of those issues to just identify with you on abortion? No. Polling shows that people are concerned with pocketbook issues and crime. There there isn't a week, Rick, that we don't have. If you ride the subway system in New York City, you are taking your life into your own hands. The mentally ill has basically uh, taken over the system as far as on a weekly basis. We have people that are pushed in front of a train, people that are just pushed on the track. The other day, a man suffered a broken uh, collarbone uh, because this uh, this uh, mentally ill man ran at full speed, almost like a linebacker or a track athlete, and just hit the man and knocked him onto the tracks. We've had women, Michelle Go, Asian Americans, that have been pushed in front of trains and are no, no longer with us anymore. And so for Governor Hoku to focus on abortion... When people are dying every day and the train system, as you know, Rick, it is essential to any anyone living basically in the city of New York. And, and let's not forget the commuters that come in and crime is out of control. Progressive politicians, progressive politicians, they have overplayed their hand. And it's my prediction that the Democratic Party is about to pay dearly for the fact that they overplayed their hand. I agree with that. I was on the fence about the Republicans taking the Senate until recent days, but I I think they are going to take both houses. To bring this full circle, last question I have for you is, on a macro level looking at the issues here, I wonder if the Democrats aren't also paying for what is perceived to be bait and switch in the minds of the voters, both A, you talk about the progressive Democrats, well, Biden sold himself as being the moderate who stood up to Bernie Sanders. I think a lot of us realize Joe Biden kind of goes where the party goes over the years, and uh, the way that the, the, the leftward drift has been, that doesn't surprise me, but he was running on post-Trump con- competence here. We're going to come in, we're the adults in the room. You start with Afghanistan, I think the, the boy the pullout went started to unravel things, as you said, the border, crime, inflation, gas prices as a significant part of inflation. 
I wonder if it's not deemed to be bait and switch by a lot of voters out there going, you said the adults were coming in to fix things. By the way, in the pandemic still raging to the extent that it has been over the last two years as well. Bait and switch is something that voters will make you pay for, and I wonder if that's something they feel like they're seeing right now. Possible, and when when you look at the fact, anybody listening to us right now, Rick, mm-hmm. re- really, what what? And you're right. You know, Biden ran as I'm the adult in the room. You know, with this strategy of, and the Democrats were very uh, very uh, 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 manipulative. And how they did this, you know, keeping them in the basement, and, and we now know why. Right. With with, with all of the um, uh, slips and so on, verbally, but but really, as we as we, and I'm saying this independent, no skin in the game. Sure. What have we really benefited from as a country, as Biden with president, as president? I could tell you several things under Trump, but what what have we benefited? What it seems like, and I, I'm trying to figure out the best way to say this. It seems like almost everything he's touched has gone wrong, and and now his party is going to pay for it. And I I, I just don't see the upside to you know to to, to simply win the the White House. Because you're not Trump. I get it, Rick. Mm-hmm. You know, folks say, oh, I, I don't like Trump's personality. I don't like the way he talks to people. But I didn't vote for him. Well, I, I don't think people supported him based on his personality of what he tweets. Right. We voted for him for leadership, like the same way you vote for any president. And right now, the one-two punch coming out of the White House of Biden and, and Vice President Kamala Harris, it just does not cut it. And if things don't, if they don't, if the party doesn't wake up real soon, Rick, as you know, we're about to go into the presidential race as soon as all of this is over. What are the Democrats going to do? Because the hole is getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And I I really don't see the bench. Yeah. You know, on, on the Republican side, I can say DeSantis, I can give you a couple of people. Sure. But... But on the Democratic side, I really, yeah, sure, you you have a lot of people that are interested, right? But that doesn't mean that they're going to connect with the American people. It's it's just a mess. And let me give you another example. So, uh, Sean Patrick Maloney, right? He runs the uh, Democratic congressional campaign. Uh, you know, his job basically to get Democrats elected. That's right. He's supposed he's supposed to have a cakewalk. He's caught in the battle of his life against an unknown assemblyman in New York by the name of Mike Lowler, who represents a Rockland County, New York. Lowler is the, or Lawler is the Republican. And polling has Lawler ahead against a top Democrat. That's amazing. I hadn't heard that. I, I know Maloney's a big name. That's incredible. He, he is a big name. Now, now, conventional wisdom says he's supposed to be guaranteed. He's supposed to be like Schumer. Charles Schumer, almost guaranteed to win. But right now, right as it stands right now, Sean Patrick Maloney may be defeated to a relative unknown by the name of Mike Lawler, an assemblyman from Rockland County, New York, who is a Republican, but he's resonating because he is saying all the right things, Rick, and those things are that people are sick and tired of crime, people are sick and tired of of these progressive Democrats that that are just Looney Tune, 
And I'm talking about even the mainstream uh, progressive Democrats. Sure. I'm not referring to the squad. Those folks are just nuts. Right. I'm talking about the people that are mainstream, the mayors of New York, Chicago, Philly, uh, uh, you know, and on and on and on of major cities. But but we're looking at a situation where it seems like, Rick, like the criminals are calling the shots. Yes. And that's disgusting. Yes. It, it is an upside down world right now. It, it is a crazy and wild place. And uh, yeah, I, I'm very fearful for the future. We'll see what shakes out in the future after this election, and uh, the post-election landscape uh, is certainly uh, something, uh, as we start to see the developments in the new year, would very much look forward to catching up with you again, uh, Dominic Carter. Thank you so and, and much I for look, making time. I look forward to coming back. I, I really do. So let's do it yes. soon. Yes, sir. Uh, we won't take nearly as long uh, this time out. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much, and thank you, everybody, for joining us for FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1537.